0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. <laughs> Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Somebody mind reading that? That's going to be our main passage in today's talk. We're obviously not in Genesis today. We're taking a little bit of a detour. That's kind of a pun based on the topic of material we'll be talking about later. Somebody want to read Genesis five, twenty two and twenty three. Genesis. 5, I'm sorry, Galatians five, twenty two and twenty three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. So we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit today. But I've actually titled the message today, Check Your Gages. I want to start off by telling you a little bit of a story about my background that I don't think I've actually mentioned in, in this setting before. Let me take you back to when I was 16 years old on my birthday. When I was 16 years old, my dad gave me a card. All right, He gave me a card, and inside the card was a key. And as a 16-year-old, and what 16-year-olds think about you know, I was like, I know what this is for. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no, there you go. There's the key. And I'm like, wow. Came to find out that that key was just a random key. My dad was playing a joke on me. Oh, I thought God. I was getting a car, and he gave me a key. It turned out it was like for some doorknob you know, in a house we moved away from <laughs> oh, or something. Brutal. So it was just this random key that he gave me in a car for my 16-year-old oh, <laughs> birthday when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. And I should have oh, known better because in my family, we didn't have money. You know, We didn't have much money. So there wouldn't have been able... He would have been, I mean, any car he would have been able to afford would have been a, a, a disaster. Um, so I knew I was probably going to end up having to work hard before I'd get to the point where I'd have a car, and it wasn't going to be when I was 16. It was probably going to be quite a bit after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometime, I think sometime between my 17 and 18, 17 years old, 18 years old, somewhere in there, uh, he came home one day and he said, Jeff, yes, I got something out uh, outside I want you to see. And... And so I went outside, and sure enough, there was actually a car sitting at the curb outside. There was a car sitting in front of our house, and at first I thought, well, maybe this is a joke, maybe it's another joke. Uh, But Mm -hmm. no, it turns out he actually had bought me a car. It was a 1962 Plymouth Valiant. All right, 1962 Plymouth Valiant. This car right here, this obviously is not a picture of my car. This is like a sales brochure, probably, or or something like that, you know. But a 62 Plymouth Valiant. As a 17 year old, I was I was overjoyed. My uncle had offered me a car shortly before that that had no reverse, and I was like, "I'll take it. I'll take anything." (laughs) You know, at that point. So you know, just something to call my own, a car to call my own. Uh, As you can see, it's got some unique styling. To it but right, that was a Nordic car by those years. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we have heard yet, and it's yeah. running yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike knows In a little bit more? about my family, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this car you can tell by its styling, it's got some unique features. One of the things is that, <laughs> uh, it, well, it was known for its styling or lack thereof, it didn't win any beauty contests. This car actually made more often, it made the list of the most. Ugly cars ever made. Uh, you can actually find the 62 Plymouth Valiant on the, the list for the ugliest cars ever made. This is typically what it really looked like. Instead of the sales brochures, this is kind of what a good specimen might look like, <laughs> parked at somebody's curb. Uh, again, this picture isn't mine, but you know, none of these are going to be my, my car. This one right here, you could get it with the trunk that had just a basic streamline, you know, emblem on the back. You know, just a a standard trunk that you could get right there. Or you could pay a little extra for the option that uh, was called the Continental option, made it look like a spare tire, but soon after its release was uh, known as the toilet seat trunk. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For for reasons that you probably see right there. So you're probably wondering, well, what did Jeff's car look like? I mean, as a 16-year-old, what would Jeff's car look like? So, um, you know, (laughs) Bianca's face right there. Uh, isn't that awesome? I think that's pretty cool, except that wasn't my car. <laughs> mine didn't look anything like that. As a 16-year-old, I probably would have loved to have had that. Uh, but mine looks something a little bit more like that. That one right there. And if you're wondering, what is that color scheme right there? That's rust. All right? That's what that color scheme is right there. And that's kind of what it looked like sitting at the curb kind of close to the view I had when I went outside to see the car that was parked at the curb. I'll tell you a little bit about it. My dad had been driving down a rural road. We lived in a rural community. It was Agricultural's in Ventura County. It was a little community called Fillmore and he was on one of these back roads through the orchards and there was this car parked almost in the ditch. It was at the end of this dirt driveway and it was almost, you know, parked off the side of the road and almost in a ditch and it had a for sale sign in it. And my dad went up up the little farm road and went and talked to the farmer and uh, they worked out a deal and he bought the car for 250 bucks. And uh, before he took the car away, the farmer says, you know, it's a good thing you bought it today because if it didn't sell today, I was going to turn it into a planter tomorrow. (laughs) So you can imagine the condition that it was in. It it had issues. It had problems. It It had seen a lot of miles by the time it came into my possession. It didn't have a lot of the stuff that modern cars have, like the floor. Um, there was actually holes in the floor in the back seat because it was so rusted through. And I, I had this car through you know, the twilight years of my high school and even going to college and I'd have people that would ride in the back of my car and they actually enjoyed riding in the back of the car. And I found out why because you know we'd go through a drive-through at McDonald's or whatever and get our, our, our meals and then they'd throw the trash out the hole <laughs> in the bottom of my car. They were throwing their French fry you know cartons and their hamburger wrappers through the hole in the bottom of my car. And I'd see it in the rearview mirror. I'd be like, "Where'd that garbage come from? I didn't see that in front of me as I'm driving down the road." I'm like, "Hey, knock it off back there!" Oh, what a car! It's exactly what car. right. What a car! <laughs> it had other issues. Let's see, the, it caught on fire once. The, 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 The brakes, there were issues with the brakes. Somebody had to pull up alongside me one time and honk and tell me that my car was on fire. So I had to pull over and open the back door and grab the blanket off the back seat that was my seat cover and use the blanket to try to put out the the fire in the back. That was probably a dumb idea. It was right by the gas tank. And then uh, another time I was driving down the freeway and uh, the accelerator pedal got stuck. Oh, um, there was traffic up ahead it started oh. to slow down and so as you would do you would slow down you would lift your foot up off the gas pedal and the gas pedal supposed to follow your foot uh, at this particular moment for whatever reason it decided not to follow my foot it just stayed there and so i'm not slowing down and so uh, thinking real fast i took my foot and just you know jammed it on the pedal to like free it up mm-hmm. and, and and instead of freeing it up it just pushed it down And stayed down. So now I'm accelerating. This is all, like, that fast. So now I'm accelerating when everybody else is braking. So I thought real fast, and I quickly got out of the lanes, and I got onto the shoulder, (laughs) and I put it in neutral, and now I can slow it down. I couldn't use my brakes when it was under power because it's just, you know, the brakes fighting the engine. So in neutral, I could actually slow it down. But the engines, you know, I'm on the side of the road, and, you know, it's just it up really high and I open the hood and I get my hand in there and I'm wrestling with the linkage and bless you wrestling with the linkage and finally get it unstuck and uh, you know it finally started behaving again so it had issues but you know I tell you what I kind of missed that car. This is kind of what the back end of a nice version might look like if you see this you know car if you're following this car down on the freeway, you know, this is, this is a nice one. Mine was something a little more like that. So if you're following me, that's probably more okay. realistic of what you would actually end up seeing in front of you. With flames. <laughs> With flames, <laughs> right. trash. right. <And> trashy, <laughs> and <trashy. That's> right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> one of the things I liked about this car, though, is it was just so simple. You know, you you can't open a hood of a car nowadays and see something just so simple like that. This is a really clean version, of of course. But, I mean, it was just really basic. And as a high schooler, I needed to keep this car running. And this was a car I could actually figure out. And it was a car I could actually do a lot of work on myself and and kind of keep it running. This is a picture here of kind of what the the dash and the gauges would look like as you would be sitting in the driver's seat. You see the steering wheel there and the gauges in the background. This would be a nice version. Okay. And then this is kind of more of a, a close-up view of what the dash might look like, just focusing now on the dash and the gauges. Let's talk about gauges for a little bit. I mean, if you look at this car, there's, it's pretty simple in the number of gauges. There's only a few gauges here. There's the speedometer. It tells you how fast you're going. You'll see your needle go up. If you're going faster, you see the needle go down if you're going slower. There's a fuel gauge. If you've got more fuel, it goes up. and If you've got less fuel, it goes down. There's a temperature gauge. It you know, goes up when it's hot and it goes down when it's cold. And then the last one is your, your electrical system. You know If you're doing fine and nothing's wrong with your electrical system, it pretty much that needle would stay pretty much straight up and down. And then if you turn on your headlights or you turn on the heater, the needle would start to go down a little bit and you turn them off and the needle goes back up. So that was pretty much it. You just had a few simple gauges. In contrast to the car that I drive now or that my wife drives now, the newest car I have right now is 11 years old. So you think, oh, it's not even modern. But at 11 years old, even then, there are so many indicators. There are so many gauges, so many things that light up on that dash. I can't even begin to count them. You stick your key in the car. You turn on your ignition. For one second, everything lights up. It's like going through a self-check, right? And, and all the lights are lit up. It looks like the control panel of the jet, you know? And I don't even know what all these things are for. And then all of a sudden, they'll all kind of blink off. And then you, you're down to your standard ones. And you're like, that's a lot of stuff going on. My older car, the one that I, that I actually drive most of the time, it's a year 2000 Honda Civic. And there's 30. I counted them one day. There's 30 different indicators on the dash. This was a much more simple time. <laughs> 30 different indicators. Speaking of the simplicity one, whatnot, the owner's manual for this car, when I got it, it was, it was, you know, I'd be surprised if it was over 20 pages. It was pretty short. It was pretty small. The owner's manual for our newest car, the one that's 11 years old, it, it's there's so many pages, it comes in two volumes. It's two volumes. It's 200 pages plus per volume. There's that many pages of stuff you got to look through to figure out how to use your car. My wife and I have a different philosophy, though, when it comes to gauges. When I come to a stoplight, my mm-hmm. habit is I look at my gauges. You know, I want to make the most of my time, and while I'm at the stoplight, while I'm stopped, what, what can I do? Or I can look at my gauges and make mm-hmm. sure everything's going fine, right? Because the gauge is going to tell you if everything's fine or if something's starting to go wrong. Hopefully, you catch it before it gets really bad. Hopefully, you catch it when it's a small problem before it gets to be a big problem, mm-hmm. Right? My wife's philosophy, though, on gauges is, is a little bit different than that. Uh, I drive her car on the weekend. We go to church in the car that she drives. And we'll get in, and we're ready to go to church. And I'll turn it on. I'll say, hey, 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 how long has this light been on? On the dash. And she goes, oh, my light. <laughs> I got this one right here. Oh, you know, I think I was meaning to tell you about that. Meaning to tell me about that? You, you need to tell me about these things a little more promptly than meaning to tell me about that, you know, and we'll have this discussion about the importance of gauges, because sometimes a gauge can be something not so important, but most of the time, it means there's something needs attention, and preferably sooner rather than later. So uh, about two weeks ago, I got a text from my wife, and she sends me a text. She says, hey, there's a light on on the dash. And I'm like, oh, good. She's noticed it. She's doing something about it. She's telling me, right? She's telling me there's a light on the dash and i said oh, okay which one is it and she goes i don't know and then the next text i get is a photograph from her phone that she's taken a picture of the of the light on the dash now instead of the light being on being my primary concern right my concern now is are you driving <laughs> are you driving and finding your phone and taking it out and finding camera and go through the code and give the camera. And now, are you sticking your hand with the phone through the steering wheel <laughs> to to take a picture of the gauges? And now you're driving with your hand through the steering wheel. That's what those guys would do. <laughs> Truth be told, maybe you're right. But anyway, I'm thinking about this because she wouldn't be driving alone. She's got the kids in the back, you know. And I'm thinking now. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I hope you're not driving, you know. So she Call takes CBS. this picture of this thing. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> so she takes a picture of this indicator light, and, and and it's one. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what that is. There's times when we're driving and I'll see a light coming on and I'll say, honey, honey, get the owner's manual. we got to figure out what this light means because I haven't seen this before. There's so many different gauges. And she go, I don't want to do that because she doesn't want to look through 400 pages, two volumes of 200 pages each, <laughs> to try to figure out what it is. It, take, it took us a long time last time to figure out what that one was, and now we got to find out what this one means. So gauges are important. It's important to check your gauges. It's important to know the condition of the vehicle that you're driving, right? I mean, you can all, we all get that. It's important to check them off so that you know if there's a small problem, so you can catch it before it becomes a big problem, and maybe you can do something about it. Because really, what happens? If, if a gauge shows that something's not right, what are our options? Hopefully, we've caught it in a time that we can do something about it ourselves. Hopefully, when I, <laughs> when I see a light go on on the dash, I'm hoping something I'll be able to fix myself. Maybe it's low windshield washer fluid. Maybe it's low you know, gasoline. You know, maybe it's, it's something that I can fix myself in my driveway. But sometimes it's not that nice. Sometimes it's not that cut and dry. Sometimes I need to pull somebody in that knows more, right? Sometimes I need to find a friend who knows more about these things than I do. And they go, hey, I got this light on my gauge. Can you help me figure out what it means? Can you help me figure out how I can fix it? Is there some way Is there some way I can do this without having to incur a big cost, right? And then sometimes it's, it's a lot worse. Sometimes you have a light goes on and it it's something big. And you need to go to a specialist. And you know that this specialist is going to charge a lot. It's going to be painful. It's going to maybe require major repairs. And you're hoping it's not that big of an issue, but sometimes that is. If you look on this dash right here, you'll see this light up here in the top left corner. It's just a little indicator. All it is, it's just a little light that in this car, you hope, never comes on. Because it was just a little bulb in the back. And when it comes on, there was a little red piece of plastic. And it would, I think it even said the word oil on it. And if that light came on in this particular car that was a very bad time <laughs> that usually meant major overhaul so these other ones they would give you indications of how, how it's going and you know you could see fluctuations in this one there wasn't any fluctuation it was either on or off and you hoped it was always off because if it came on you needed to do something right away you needed to pull to the side of the road and you needed to take care of it and i actually carried of oil in the back of the car to be able to take care of that light right away Because if you let it go too long, you would run the risk of, seriously, burning up your engine. So hopefully we could take care of it ourselves. Sometimes we need to pull in a friend that knows more about these situations than us. But uh, the worst case scenario is we need a major overhaul, major repairs. Wouldn't it be nice if we had spiritual (laughs) indicators in our spiritual life? Wouldn't it be nice if we just had a few simple indicators that we could look to and it could help us to establish, is everything fine and normal? Or is there an area that needs some sort of attention? And I propose to you, we have some indicators. We've got nine of them in this passage. Our different indicators, our spiritual indicators, our spiritual gauges include these nine up here. And let's look at those a little bit. The first one is love. Love is your first gauge. Love is your first indicator. How are you doing in love? How's that gauge looking? Look down at your gauge in the area of love. When it comes to love, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, oh dear. Okay, we're going to be talking about the fruits of the Spirit. I've heard this so many times before. I mean, this passage is very familiar to me. And if you've ever heard the phrase that familiarity breeds contempt, we have a tendency to go there where we think, oh, I've heard this before. I can turn off right now. I can click off. Wish it was something else we were talking about today. Something new, something more exciting than this, because I've heard of this. But I want to challenge you to be listening to what the Spirit (laughs) might say to you today. So when the Spirit would have us to examine ourselves and look at the gauge in our life of love, what does that look like? What does love look like? When we look at the Bible, when it talks about love, there's no shortage of passages. No shortage of passages that talk about love. In fact, there's four different words used in the Greek for, to describe four different types of love. Three of those actually appear in our New Testament. Those four words, and you've, you've heard this before, agape, and storge, and phileo, and eros. All right, Eros being a sexual type of love that particular greek word isn't used in the new testament dorge is you know the p- type of love parents might have for kids or siblings might have for one another or parents even for one another uh, in a good relationship phileo is a friendly or a brotherly type of love, or you like something strongly it's a it's a phileo love and then there's agape and agape <coughs> is the big one that's the one we're going to be talking about so if i was to say how's my love gauge and i was to look at my love gauge and i was just try to decide what do i love i love ice cream but you know what that's not going to register on my spiritual gauge that's a different kind of love mm-hmm agape love isn't about loving ice cream agape love is about god's love for us it's a godly form of love it's the most it's the highest form of love i would propose to you all right so how are you doing on love john 15 17 says this that we're to love one another it says this i command you that you love one another so when you look at this gauge realize that what is this measuring it's measuring our love for one another and so you're probably thinking to yourself. Okay, so uh, alright, I gotta I gotta love I gotta love you and I gotta love you and I gotta love you. We and, and we, we look around the room and we decide how are we doing? How we doing on love? You look around the room and you go, know, Okay, all right. All right, I can do that. I can do that. But the interesting thing is five verses before that, John fifteen, twelve, Jesus says this, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That takes it up a notch. I mean because our definition of love, we can probably sign ourselves off, check ourselves off and say, Yeah, that gauge is right. That gauge looks normal. But all of a sudden, you see something's added here. It's not a how I would normally think about loving somebody. It's how would Jesus love this person? How would Jesus love me? And that's the standard then. The standard's a higher standard. Another passage, very familiar, talking about love 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. How's your love gauge looking when you start weighing it by these standards? It's not proud and does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then the last one, love never fails. How's that love gauge looking? Is everything going fine? Or maybe is this an area that God wants to work on? Is Is it starting to show that maybe something needs our attention? And then Luke 6.32, it's an interesting passage. It says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So now Jesus is issuing a challenge. Oh, you just love others that love you? Mm, not, not good enough. What? Yeah, that gauge is indicating you're a little bit lower than maybe you thought you were. Who are we talking about? Okay, i got to love others. All right, I'm getting a little nervous. Matthew 5.44 says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's hard to do. How's your love gauge looking? Moving on to joy, James 1, 2. And let me start off by saying regarding joy, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is one of those things where, oh, I'm having a good day, happy. Oh, I'm having a bad day, unhappy, right? Happiness follows the circumstances of our lives. And so we would all look and say, yeah, that's reasonable. You see somebody who's unhappy because they're having a bad day or they're happy because they're having a good day. That's happiness, it's circumstances based. But that's not the joy, the joy that's being described in the Bible. The joy that's being described in the Bible is something that's irregardless or irrespective of the circumstances. James 1, 2 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So the joy you can have in bad circumstances, in trials. When you're going through trials, you can still have joy. We were youth pastors and we had a youth group and there were kids in the youth group and as kids do they grow up and one of the girls in the youth group ended up marrying a guy seemed like a nice guy at the time but later on he got bored with her and decided to find somebody else and his justification when he was called in front of the pastor you know you can't continue coming to this (laughs) church and living in sin and his justification was well God wants me to be happy as if happiness is a God-given right as if happiness is a an excuse for disobedience because he was clearly living in disobedience living in sin no God calls us to be obedient and when we're obedient when we submit to him he fills us with joy he had it backwards he had happiness as his pursuit even if it meant disobeying his God John fifteen eleven says these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full Jesus speaking here of course so that if our objection was, I can't produce that kind of joy that's maintained during trials and tribulations. You don't have to. The source of joy is not within you. It's within God. You need to be sticking close to the source. All right? And he'll supply you what you need. Your source of joy is in God. And his intention is that his joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Romans 14:17 says that joy is one of the three big ingredients of the kingdom of God, along with righteousness, peace. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Paul describes in that passage there as being three big ingredients in the kingdom of God. Romans fifteen thirteen says, uh, Paul ends up saying, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So what I'm seeing here is that all joy can be had in God. And if you want joy in your life, if your gauge for joy is showing low, then go to God. Go to God. Joy is found in him. How's your joy, Gage? How about peace? Those two verses that I talked about just there, right there, Romans 14, 17 and Romans 15, 13, you'll see they repeat right here for peace. Because those two passages, in addition to mentioning joy, they also mention peace. Romans 14, 17, the three ingredients were what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Three big ingredients in the kingdom of God. The next one, Romans 15, 13, like joy, God wants to fill us with all peace. God is the source of our joy. God is the source of our peace. How's your peace gauge? If it's low, if you're feeling kind of low with peace in your life, could you use some more peace in your life? Your gauge is showing a little low. Go to God. Go to God. John sixteen thirty three says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. So you find that peace is not, it's not based on circumstances. Just like you could have tribulations and joy, you can have tribulations and peace. Joy and peace, God can provide those for you despite your circumstances, even in the midst of tribulations and trials. Acts ten thirty six, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. This verse right here, what is it saying? It says that God, God says, I want to send a message. I want to send a message to my people. And what is the message? Peace. We can have peace with God. He brings that message. Ephesians 2, verses 14, 15, and 17 talks about Jesus preaching peace, establishing peace, and he is our peace. Romans two fourteen says, for he himself is our peace. Verse 15, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And then God is a God of peace in First Corinthians 14, 33. Romans five one says that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? That we can have peace with God. Javier and I were talking before we got started about how things could be different if God didn't get involved, right? And what would be our destination? What would be our fate? It would be bad news. But yet, the God of the universe says we can have peace with Him. That's amazing. That's amazing. And how is that? It's wrought through Jesus. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ in Romans five one. Romans 8, 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is peace, is life and peace. So if you're feeling a lack of peace in your life, if your peace gauge is showing low, how can you increase your peace? How can you fill up on peace? Well, spend time with the source by setting your mind on the spirit, not on the flesh. What is the flesh? It's about living selfishly. It's about living for my own pursuits, my own desires. Living for the spirit is living for what God would have for us. Going down the path God wants us to go down. As we live to feed the Spirit or set our minds on the Spirit, that's when we can have access to life and peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace <laughs> of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then Second Thessalonians three sixteen says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. So once again, reminded that peace is not based on circumstances. That you can have peace despite going through horrible stuff. How about patience? Patience. 1 Peter 3.20 says this, that God was patient, right? It says, the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So God was patient during the days of Noah. That's good to know. How about uh, the example of the prophets? It says in James 5.10, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So the prophets were examples for us to be patient. Okay, that's great, though. we got God was patient. we got the prophets are serving as an example for us to be patient. And you heard the joke, you know, don't ever pray for patience, you know, because what's going to happen? God's going to break things in your life, and you're like, ah! How do you so God was patient. The prophets serve as examples of patience. Oh, but the next one helps us. Romans 2, 4, God is patient with us. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? God is patient with us. Second Timothy 4.2 says this, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So when we're teaching or when we're rebuking, patience needs to attend those things. And then in Ephesians 4.1 and 2, it says that patience is one of those requirements of having a walk that's worthy of bearing the name of Christ. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. How's your patience gauge? Check your gauges. Kindness. Two passages for kindness. Ephesians 2.7, So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God shows us kindness through Christ. And then Second Corinthians six, four through six. As servants of God we should then show kindness to others, it says, But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. So raise your hand. Are you a servant of God? Who's a servant of God in here? Good. Looks like everybody's a servant of God. So you are included in this verse. This verse is speaking to you. It says, But in everything commending yourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions and hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors and sleeplessness, in hunger and purity, in knowledge and patience, in kindness the Holy Spirit. There you go. There's your recipe for living a life of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> <That's insane. laughs> How's your kindness? <laughs> How's your kindness, Gage? How about goodness? Goodness. Uh, Romans 3.12 says this, all have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. So the, we find that goodness <clears throat> is not something that is natural to us. In 2 Thessalonians 11 says this, to this end, also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness. Every desire of goodness. So we should, it's something we should be desiring and that God will fulfill. How about faithfulness? Faithfulness. The Greek word behind this word is pistis. Pistis appears many, many times in our New Testament, 244 times. It's not an uncommon word, but it is often translated as faith. Here we're looking at it as translated faithfulness. All right? Depending on the translation you read, the number of other passages that could be considered that actually are translated as faithfulness, again, it depends on the translation. Some would have three, some would have two, some would have only this other verse that I'm going to show you right here, which is Romans 3.3. 3. So the only other verse that consistently has this word translated as faithfulness is Romans 3.3. 3. What's the difference? Well, faith is belief and trust. Faith is belief and trust, whereas faithfulness is what? It's a behavioral choice often based on faith and trust okay so it's more of a behavior it's more of an action thing all right so most of the time this word is translated as faith but here it's translated as faithfulness the only other passage besides this one that we're looking at that is consistently translated as faithfulness is romans 3 3 and it says what then if some did not believe their unbelief would not nullify the faithfulness of god will it the reason I bring that up is because the only other passage that I can find that is consistently translating pistis as faithfulness is talking about faithfulness of God, not our faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Once again, we find where's the source of this kind of stuff? It's in God. All right, so how are your gauges looking? How's your gauge on faithfulness? If your gauges are running low, you need to be going to the person who could fill you up. You need to be going to the source. If you need gasoline, you go to the gas pump. If you need faithfulness, you go to God. All right, how's your faithfulness gauge? And then gentleness, for gentleness, Colossians 3.12 says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, anybody chosen of God in here? Anybody chosen of God? I should be seeing every hand, right? Chosen of God. So this is speaking to us then. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness should be attending the way that we live. Galatians six one it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So gentleness should attend us in exhorting somebody to restoration. First Timothy 6.11 says this, that we should be uh, pursuing gentleness. It says, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So we should be pursuing gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness... Correcting those who are in opposition, again, with gentleness. And then finally this one, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. And you've seen this verse already when we talked about patience. It's part of walking in a worthy manner. It says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience. It's part of walking in a worthy manner. If you bear the name of Christ, your walk should be attended by gentleness. How's your gentleness gauge looking? And then finally, self-control. How's your self-control gauge? You know, when Paul was talking to Governor Felix, there were three topics that were mentioned that he was talking to Governor Felix about. Righteousness, judgment to come, and self-control. So of the main topics that he could have talked to him about, about anything, the three he talked to him about were righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And then 2 Peter 1, through 5-8 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So you start off with faith, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, add knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And the list goes on, but the point I'm trying to make about that is, are you growing in knowledge? Do you have Bible studies that you attend and maybe you're growing in knowledge? Well, then that should result in developing or adding to that self-control. We should be adding self-control to our knowledge. How's your self-control gauge? I mentioned when I showed you this picture, the little red light, the light you never want to come on, the bad light. This is a danger light. If that light comes on, it's a, it's much more serious than all the others, right? <laughs> this is the red light danger. You take care of it right away. These are serious issues. If you don't, you're going to destroy everything. That's what that light means, right? I want to talk about some red light danger issues. Go back to the passage we started at, Galatians 5:22 and 23. That's where we started. We're going to look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. If you see any of these crop up, these are red light issues. These are the light. This is danger. This is pullover. This is get it taken care of right away. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. Immorality is a red light danger sign. Get it taken care of right away. Some of your other translations will have fornication or sexual immorality. The next word is impurity. Some will say uncleanness. The next one is sensuality. These are red light danger issues. If you don't take care of these, they're going to destroy everything. Idolatry. Next one is sorcery. Some will say witchcraft. Next one is enmities, or some translations will say hatred. Next one is strife, or some will say discord or contentions. These are danger. Take care of it immediately. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger, or outbursts of wrath, or fits of rage. Next one is disputes, or someone says selfish ambitions. Next one is dissensions. After that is factions. What are factions? Factions, different cliques or different groups warring against one another, right? Factions, or some translations have heresies there. Verse 21, envying. Envying. Is that a problem in Southern California? (laughs) Envying. That's a red light danger issue. Don't allow yourself to engage in envying and think it's just a small thing because every commercial that's on your TV and your radio is trying to sell you something. Oh, it's just normal. It's part of our culture. No, that's a red light danger issue. Be aware of that. Watch your gauges. Drunkenness. You know anybody that ever gets drunk? <laughs> Drunkenness as a lifestyle mean, something they do as a habitual pattern on the weekends? I hope it's not us because that's a danger light. That's a danger sign. That's a get it taken care of right away. The next one is carousing, or some translations will have revelries. NIV even says orgies. The word that's being used to describe that is basically a group of drunken people who, after supper, after getting drunk, they stumble out of the bar or wherever they're at, and they go down the street parading their behavior that's inappropriate. And you can imagine all the attendant things that might go along with that kind of behavior. It's a drunken, debauched, bad choices kind of episode that's going on in that word. And then it ends with this, and things like these, it's not even a complete list. There's other things that could be included. Paul is saying it's not limited to just what I'm giving you here. So what, these are red light danger issues. These should not be something that we would see in our lives. If we are, that's a light that's coming on that says that needs to be taken care of right away. That's an issue that you need to pull over and you need to deal with right now. That's an issue that can destroy everything if you allow it to continue. And then he says, Paul ends up saying, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if there's a little voice right now whispering in your head, you did one of those. You can't go to heaven. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. All right. It says there, who practice such things. These are people that make it a practice. All right. So if you've got some episode in your life where you go, oh, man, one of those words Mm -hmm. describes, you know, an episode of my life in the past. That's fine. It's in the past all right does god have forgiveness for those who come to him in repentance absolutely does he even include forgiveness for the person who calls themselves christians for years and years and years and then last weekend blew it yes when peter came to jesus go hey you know what i think i got this whole thing figured out how many times should i forgive my brother seven times what did jesus say to that 70 times seven Oh, that's a whole lot more, and we're not supposed to be keeping track, right? We're not supposed to count. I'm up to 480. I'm getting close. (laughs) And what is that saying? It's saying not only that the forgiveness that we should have for one another, it's would God have a less of a standard for himself towards us? Would God say, you need to forgive each other 490 times, but me, I'm only going to forgive you guys twice. I'm only going to forgive you 10 times or 15. No. It's a statement of how forgiving God is towards us, and therefore how much forgiveness we should have for one another. Does God have forgiveness for the person who has made bad choices in their life in the past, whether it was last weekend or last decade? He does. All right. The red light comes on when these are a pattern in the present. If they're in the past, they're in the past. The light is off. You've been forgiven. All right. So what if there's an issue? What if your spiritual gauges indicate that something's going low, something's running low, something needs attention? Well, deal with it, right? Hopefully it's something you can take care of yourself. Hopefully it's a small issue and you go, okay, thank you, God, for showing me this. I can, you know, you and me, we can work it out to you. Or if it's not, maybe you need somebody to come alongside you, maybe a mentor or a friend, somebody you can go to and you go, you know what, I recognize that you know more about these things than I do, and I need your help on this. Just as we might go to a friend who would know more about our car than we do. Hey, this is one, I can't quite figure it out. Can you help me? Because I know you know more about these things than I do. Maybe we could find ourselves a spiritual mentor or a friend, and we could say, hey, I know you know more about these things than I do. Can you help me figure this out? And then sometimes there are bigger issues. Sometimes there are issues where we know that we're going to have to go to a specialist. And like the car, we know that might be a major overhaul. There might be major repairs involved. There might be a big cost. It's the same with our spiritual gauges. Sometimes the issues are so big, we might need to go to a specialist. We might need to go to somebody where we know it's going to be big repairs. It's going to be major reconstructions. It's going to be a big cost. What would I say then in summary, I'd say we should be thankful that we've got somebody that we can go to day or night, a specialist that knows all about our issues. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that's going to be misdiagnosed. <clears throat> he knows exactly what the problems are, and he's going to be able to take care of those issues and we cry out and heaven father, please help me in this area. And he's got this, he's the source of all of it, right? Mm-hmm. We find out none of this comes naturally to us, so it's got to come outside of us. It's got to come to us supernaturally because it doesn't come naturally. So we go to God who is able to provide us. These are the fruits of the Spirit. It's called the fruits of the Spirit because it comes from the Spirit. It doesn't come from within us. Mm -hmm. We need to be checking our gauges frequently. We need to be paying attention to our gauges and not ignoring the trouble signs as they show up. We need to get to know what's normal, what's really the way it's supposed to be, and not what we would just call normal because we've gotten used to it that way. We need to fill up when we're running low on something. When an indicator says, hey, you're low here, you're low there, you're low here on something else, fill up. Get filled up. You need to stay filled up. And then finally, take care of those smaller problems before they become bigger problems. Don't let the problems get so big that they destroy everything. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are that specialist. You're that master mechanic that we can come to and we can say, dear Lord, please take this issue, take this problem, and we surrender it to you, Lord. And Lord, sometimes that means there's a big cost. Sometimes that means, oh, this is going to hurt. Sometimes it means this is going to be a major overhaul. This can be big time repairs. Help us to submit to your authority. Help us to submit to your knowledge, your understanding of these issues, and your ability to fix it. Help us, Lord, not to try to fix something on our own that is too big for us. Lord, we thank you for giving just little indicators, little and big ones, that help us to see if everything's running normal or if there's something that needs to be addressed. Thank you for spiritual gauges in our lives. And go with us now and help us, Lord, at many opportunities throughout the day to check our gauges. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.